everybody. This is post-recording Laura Prince. Uh, we just finished recording Stay Doomed 200, and we feel it would be responsible to give a blanket content warning. Uh, there will be topics of race, racism, and suicide discussed in this. Uh, the show does not handle these things in a way that is contemporarily acceptable, and the jokes therein are being presented in historical context. We do not necessarily accept or condone these views. Uh, it's more of something we want to present as it was presented. Good evening, grave robbers, and welcome back for our 200th visit to the television graveyard. We have come here to examine the spirits of past television shows to find out which ones could be resurrected, should be resurrected, and which ones should just stay doomed. This is a podcast in which we'll analyze the history, the hype, and the aftermath of shows that ran only one season, or only one episode, or fell down a well for the better part of 60 years, and yet somehow resurfaced in 2024. With me, as always, is TV's Noah Hooligan. Do you think computers will ever replace people? So, we are coming back to the 1969 cult classic, Turn On. Is it a cult classic? Are there a cult of people that really enjoy Turn On? I mean, it's definitely got the, for want of a better term, Streisand syndrome of people are more interested in it because it's gone. I'm just saying, I went to Turn On Con, and it was not what I expected. What could you possibly expect? I expected them to be talking about this show, and that's not what they were talking about. (sighs) You didn't get the joke the first time. (laughs) I didn't. I thought you were doing... I thought you were doing a higher brow bit than you were. Nope! Welcome to episode 200! (laughs) <laughs> We've once again dug up Turn On because episode three somehow resurfaced. Uh, yes, YouTube user Clown Jewels yes. posted it, and we were uh, we're we're still watching the cape. The cape has not uh, entirely fallen by the wayside, but this was sort of uh, too too good to. Uh, Yes, our lovely patrons uh, brought this to our attention. Specifically, uh, Xavier uh, sent it to us in our exclusive Discord. And we're like, hey, is this episode 200? And the patrons were like, yeah, I think it might be. And now we've rejiggered the schedule yet once again. And at the request of our patrons, this is now episode 200. Yeah, we, uh, we loved the idea of having this revisiting a show that we first visited five years ago uh, without doing a rehash of something we had already actually done. And that's a very rare opportunity. Yes. So we are only going to be covering episode three of Turn On. Yes. If you want us to hear our thoughts in episode one and two, you can listen to episode, I think it's 38 of this podcast, or episode 38 remastered because... When the clips of it hit the internet, because originally we had to watch this at the Paley Center. Mm-hmm. When the clips of it made it to the internet, we re-released that episode with included clips. Mm-hmm. So the fact that we already have two episodes 
on those episodes, it seemed repetitive to cover them again. Yes. So we're just going to be looking at episode three, which I can't believe exists. So it it starts off weirdly uh, prescient. Mm -hmm. We get the Moog synthesizers that we know and love from the first two. Hey, man, do you think computers will ever replace people? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. It is odd how timely the show ends up being. This episode is so timely in a way that I don't think we would have fully appreciated in 2019. There's no way it could be fully appreciated in the 1970s when this would have come out. Uh, If we didn't really uh, state this, but the main premise of Turn On is it's a sketch comedy show a la Laughing. Yes. But the premise is that it is all computer generated. It's not, of course, but all the sketches take place in a white void where set pieces and props and actors kind of pop in and out as if a computer is writing it. This is technophobia turned into a sketch show. Yep. (laughs) And uh, it starts with, do you think computers will ever replace humans? Which, with AI, is a thing that we deal with constantly right now. (laughs) Yeah. So then we get, uh, the the way this show is constructed is very fast, tiny clips. Neck break speed, faster than Vine. Yes. Like... Vine stars would be like, dude, slow down. Yeah, dude, this, yeah. Drew Gooden would be like, let it breathe. Yeah. Vine gives you like a whole 15 seconds. Use all of it. Some of these are two seconds. I thought Vine was six seconds. Was Vine six seconds? No, Pokes were 15 seconds, I think. You guys remember Pokes? Vines were six seconds long. Yeah. Some of these are two seconds. So, the first one we get is a doctor telling someone... It is imperative that you have this operation as soon as possible. You mean I really need it? No, I need it. Yeah, basically the idea of the uh, medical uh, profession suggesting things that are not needed in order to make money. Yes. Which, totally a thing right now with the idea of, you know, medication being advertised on television. Yeah, and like... The ailments that feel a little made up. Mm-hmm. Like, there are ailments... I, the one people always use is, like, restless leg syndrome. Restless leg syndrome, yeah. And how that's something that's being medicated for, even though it's not necessary. Yeah, I'm sure there are some humans that need some sort of medication for that. For that. Uh, but I think most humans can also think, my leg's moving a bit. I should probably take a pill because TV told me to. Yeah. Uh, I also want to just point out here, uh, just like it's so hard to get the flavor of this show across through this podcast because it's so breakneck speed. I want you, every time we discuss a new <laughs> sketch, to imagine that the quality of the video has either drastically fallen or risen. And the whole time, there's like this machine techno going on. Like, 
<laughs> like an EDM club that exists solely in Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. That is that is what's playing at all times. Uh, there's a, a pretty young woman tells a bearded man how successful he is. You're a success. You have a wonderful career. You have a beautiful wife and three beautiful children. You have a beautiful home in the suburbs. Why, you've made it. Why are you drinking? I'm drowning my happiness. I have no idea what that means. Well, drowning your sorrows. I I have it under, I've started to make a list of themes and it's uh, suburban discontentment. Okay. Because we're hitting that, the 1960s were starting to hit the second, like the late 60s were in that second decade of suburban sprawl. Okay. And we haven't quite hit the suburban disillusionment of like the late 70s and 80s. And then the real suburban disillusionment of like the I hate this town of the 90s and the 2000s. Yeah. And, but we're like hitting that first group of adults that kind of grew up in the disconnected suburbs and the quote, quote, American dream. Right. So like this person has the American dream, but they're unhappy. And that's kind of like a concept that the late 60s is really starting to delve into. Okay. Okay. Uh, then we get another sketch that I didn't understand until Laura explained it to me. Yeah. Which is uh, some people are in like spaceman costumes, like uh, like astronaut suits. One of them has a sign on their back that says April 8th. Mm-hmm. And a woman goes, I'm so sorry your pictures didn't come out. I just was like, okay. <laughs> yeah, there's some allusion to the Apollo 11. So, yeah, that's there's saying that the the photos on the moon didn't come out. Yeah. But they did. We have a video of that. It's just a bit. Like, what if? Oh, you think it's a what if? It's not commentary? Yeah, no, I thought this one was like a funny, like, could you imagine these pictures that cannot be taken again? Okay. I, I thought it was kind of a like, oh, they didn't turn out because that's a thing that happened a lot back then. There was no digital photography you could drop off a roll of film and just find out that none of your pictures worked. Yeah, that that's very true. So I, I more thought that was a, a bit. Okay. All right. <laughs> we see the motorcycle grandma from every Turn It In episode. Yeah, I got really excited to, to see on. her. Mm-hmm. I was like, ah, oh, it's Turn On! It's the grandma. <laughs> and it's dumb, but it made me happy. Uh... I have a note about making tea. Yeah, there's uh, people doing a tea ceremony, and they open their tea chest, and it's a tea bag instead of loose tea. Oh, is that the joke? And I kind of considered it like the westernization of Eastern culture. We are two minutes in, and I feel like the stupidest person alive right now. Because, like, I feel like tea bags are very like Western. Like I like I'm gonna say right now, two minutes is pushing it. We are probably not two minutes in because eight sketches have gone by, so it's probably like 47 seconds. And I have ex- understood none of them, and Laura's been inspired by all of them. <laughs> I like the next sketch I have is just. It's the Statue of Liberty, but it's a black power hand. You cannot write as fast as I can type either, because you're missing two. I'm missing two? Oh. The next one is a politician extolling good old virtues. 
Yeah, good old virtues, good old pioneer virtues, like early death. <laughs> and I like, probably actually laughed at that one, and that's why I didn't write it down. And like that's so in American politics now, this like fixation on like the good old days. Mm-hmm. Like, but all the good old days had something horrible happening. And in the 1960s, there were probably still people talking about the good old days, which would have been pioneer days. Yeah. And people died. When he died of dysentery. Yeah, you couldn't ford the river. (laughs) Uh, Then there's a cop and robber animation that ends with a cop macing himself. So, let me try to explain this. A person's running by. I don't want to say a criminal, but a person. And the cop maces them. And their hair disappears? And mm-hmm. the cop's like, oh, weird. So then he sprays it in his own face and then he falls over. Yes. I don't know if he died. I don't know if his thought was like, this will get rid of my mustache. But like, I don't see any connection of, I sprayed this on a person, their hair fell out. So thus, I should spray this in my own face. Yeah, I was thinking that this might be something I just didn't understand culturally. Okay. Um, And then we do see the Statue of Liberty doing what appears to be a black power salute. Yes, which I was like, that's the whole thing. Yeah. And I I get like the statement being made there. And I was like, okay, cool. But before I can comprehend that... We get an We're off old, yeah, we get an old man confronting a young man calling him You're a hippie, a troublemaker, an agitator, a rebel, dropout, slob. How can I be all those things and still feel like I'm nothing? I mean we're in the height of counterculture right there. What what do you think that sketch means? Because the, the man is saying you're a, you're a hippie and a burnout and a dropout. So he's basically saying you are worthless. Mm-hmm. And then this guy's response is, if I'm all those things, how am I still worthless? So which man are we on the side of? <laughs> he doesn't say worthless. He says, why do I still feel, if I'm all of those things, why do I still feel like I'm nothing? Right. But I believe the joke is saying you're a hippie, a dropout, and a, a burnout is basically saying, you do not contribute to society. Mm -hmm. And then his response of, why do I feel like nothing, is him saying, like, well, then why do I feel worthless to society? If you are imparting all of these different identities onto me, why do I not feel like I have an identity? That's what I got from it. That's counterculture, late 60s, um, trying to, like, this is in this, you know, the late 60s time of, like, trying to find yourself Mm -hmm. and being told what you are. This isn't like peak baby boomer glory era Mm -hmm. of them as young adults trying to like, you know, be the new culture and be the change. And so they're being told what they are by all of these adults, but they still can't figure out who they are. It's just, it's interesting because I could write that sketch in a more clear way that makes us like laugh at the hippie. Mm-hmm. Where, like, he says all that stuff, and then his response of, why do I feel like nothing? The the joke is, he doesn't get it. Like, the reason you feel like nothing is because you're a hippie, you're a burnout, you're a dropout. Mm-hmm. We could also, I could also write basically the same sketch, 
with the same punchline where we're on the hippie side, where the hippie's getting this old man's goat because he's calling him a hippie, a burnout, and a, and a dropout because he doesn't get it because he's an old man. I feel like one of those has to be true in this scenario, but I don't know which one it's supposed to be. Right. Like, I think it was a counterculture commentary. Um, okay. My next comment. Wait, why does this 1960s show age like fine wine? So I'm clearly liking this significantly more than the previous episode. So, yeah, I guess this would be a good time to bring this up. Uh, this episode three feels so much less stressful yeah. than the previous episodes we watched because we watched the previous two episodes in the Paley Center. In an archive feverishly writing. Yeah, because we we didn't have time to pause and like think and rewind and double check things because we only had an hour. Right. <laughs> and we had to watch 58 minutes of television. <laughs> Uh, so this, we, we paused and we rewinded and we could chat a little bit. That being said, those are options we would not have in the 1970s when this aired. True. Uh, so continue. What, what do you have next? Uh, the next thing I have, this pole vaulter cartoon and he approaches steps and then he just, uh, drinks from a straw. He, he yeah he's like about to do a pole vault but then he runs up steps puts the the pole into a giant beer and uses it like it's a straw yeah and that's just kind of it <laughs> like i don't think it's saying anything no uh other than beer good <laughs> yeah pretty much yeah it doesn't have anything really like strongly going for it yeah it was one of my least favorite. I do want to point out, I just, I wanted to look at something. We are three minutes and 15 seconds into the show. And there was a brief introduction by this YouTube channel. Yes. Uh, I also want to just like ask, okay, this probably came up the first time. When was Python? Is this before or after Python? Because to me, the, here's a sketch, here's a random cartoon of questionable quality reminds me of Monty Python. Monty Python forms the same year. Okay, so they're not ripping off Python. No, they're essentially happening at the same time. Turn On predates Monty Python and the Holy Grail by exactly eight months. Fascinating. Fascinating. Or Monty Python and the Flying Circus. Excuse me, not Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Yeah, The gotcha. TV show. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, so the next one I have is Boston Strangler. Yes. So basically, the Boston Strangler shows up at this guy's house and the guy says, Oh, you must be here for my wife. Because this was peak I hate my wife comedy. Yeah. Margaret, it's for you. Yes. So, then, what would you say if the world was to end in two minutes? This bothers the hell out of me. That's never answered. 
So I was trying to kind of go through it because I was like, okay, this time stamps at three minute 342. Mm-hmm. And then I go forward and at 417, it goes at 412, it goes to commercial. So let's say that that is 30 seconds and then skip the commercials because it doesn't make sense if I don't skip the commercials. So I'm seeing what happens. So it does not make sense either with or without the commercials. Okay. In two minutes. Because my thought is... It's the Voltaire segment with commercials and the Weight Watcher segment without. Is the joke that the answer's the commercial? It kind of feels like that's what they're leaning toward. Is like, the world ends in two minutes. Make sure you watch this advertising. Like, is that the joke? Because we get a joke for... We get a, a joke. We get a... Advertisement for the phone network <laughs> for 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 AT and T. Yes, and literally, I have a note here of Noah and I can can't figure out if it's an ad. Yes, so it definitely has a different feel than Turn On. And like before, when we watched the other two episodes, the commercials were for like Pine Saw, and it was such a release when that started because like the mood synthesizer ended, mm-hmm. and it was like, oh, we can finally breathe. The transition here is so confusing that I was like, wait, are we still in the show? Yeah. I think the joke is the world's going to end in two minutes. Here's a commercial. I think. I think that was intended to be the joke. I think you're right. But what bothers me is I used to do a TED Talk about stand-up comedy. Yes. It was a thing that I had to do for a class and then I never did it for like TED or TEDx. But it's a talk I've given a few times. Yeah. It was a TED Talk style talk. Yeah. And one of the things I say in it to talk about, like, why I think comedy is important is imagine the greatest thing you could do for humanity right now. Picture that in your mind. If it's got to be something you can actually do, though. Like, you can't say, like, I'll give a billion dollars to charity if you don't have a billion dollars. You can give your entire bank account to a charity. That's something you can do. But what's something you could do right now that would have the greatest effect on humanity? And then I'd wait for the audience to all think of that thing. And I was like, okay. Now, pretend you do that two minutes before the world ends. Did you make a difference? And everyone would be like, no. And I was like, yeah, that's why I think the greatest thing you can do for humanity is make them laugh. Because if they're laughing and then the world ends, what a way to go. Okay. So seeing like something very similar to my words show up in turn on while I'm frantically scrambling to write down the words Boston Strangler in a notebook so I could yell them into this microphone freaked me out. <laughs> like a lot, man. I can tell. And then, oh my God. <laughs> so this is a thing that that we've yet to really describe because it hasn't happened much. Uh, for some reason, some of the sketches are broken up into four panels. Yes. Like, 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 Picture like a Steve Soderbergh, Ocean's Eleven, John. Yeah, I think it's trying to be reminiscent of a comic strip. Yes, absolutely. 
But when they're doing that, so there's already four screens to look at. A cartoon with a sign will, like, dance across the screen. And by dance, I mean slide. Like, it is a cardboard cutout, like, going... And it's nearly impossible to process both at the same time. Oh, yeah. This thing goes across the screen with a sign that says, Down with Submarines. Yep. Which, first, fantastic joke. Second, makes me think about those billionaires. (laughs) Like, the, the, the idea of Down with Submarines is more prescient now than it ever was in the 1970s. Yeah. It's just, oh, it's the show. It's so, like, I can't believe the show got weirder with this episode. I actually, and then I really hate the bath beads advertisement. Oh, I'm sorry. What happened at the end? There's the commercial for the body tranquilizer and it's like the creepy bath beads ad. And I find it more disquieting than the show. Why? Uh, because it's very creepy to the woman in it. Okay. Like, they're both not dissimilar to turn on with the extreme close-up of the woman in a white mm-hmm. background. So that not realizing whether it's the commercial or the show really bothered me. Okay. Because I also, I do want to point this out. Because I, I skipped over the ads. And I guess we should talk about the ads a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was surprised to see them. Because, I don't know about you, I was under the impression this wasn't a real episode. I was under the impression that this was uh, a collection of unused sketches that would have been in future episodes. Cut together to look like an episode. But the fact that there's ads in this... There's also credits. And credits, yeah, exactly. Makes me think, wait a minute, this actually is the third episode of Turn On. Clown Jewels presents it as a third episode. Okay. I just, at the time, I was really confused. There is also at least one sketch that re um, recurs that we have not gotten to yet. Right. So we get something with uh, Voltaire saying, I disagree with what you say, but I defend to the death your right to say it. And the two men fighting before he comes over go, okay, and stab him. And stab him. Um, Simple joke. And then we get another silly, simple joke of George Washington Carver in his lab. A woman brings him lunch and he goes, oh, no, not peanut butter again. Just like a silly, doofy little. Yes. Like a silly, doofy little joke. I I like that back in the 1970s, people were still having the, that were already having the misconception that George Washington Carver invented peanut butter, which he didn't. He, He invented like, an interesting way to use peanuts, but not peanut butter. And then we get this moment of we see a beautiful young woman from the back, and then she turns around and she's pregnant. And that's treated that's like a... it. <laughs> and it's treated like a joke or a reveal or a gotcha. Um, that's odd. And then... There's so much... And then we also get a, to a man and a woman in a convertible. She is ostensibly his secretary. And she answers the phone and goes, I'll find out if he's in right now. And they're both in the car. Like she's on a car phone. Yes. There was quite a few references to a car phone. I think the whole idea being it's ridiculous to have a phone on you at all times. Like, why would you need a phone 
outside of your home or work, the idea of that is stupid and anyone who would want that is dumb. I mean, they did exist. Car phones? Yes. Yeah, I I know that they existed in the 1970s, but I think the joke is, look how stupid this is. Yes. Um, it was kind of intentionally... Uh, kind of intentionally meant to be probably a commentary the way we looked at, you know, people with cell phones in the 90s were always evil. Exactly, exactly. That That's the joke I'm making. Yeah. Uh, that they are... Or that time depression. period where everybody had Bluetooths and was talking to themselves in public. Yes. And they were annoying. Yeah. The, the Bluetooth douchebag. Uh. Era. And then we get... I actually have it as... A an officer Krupke esque, like social worker, talking to a group of boys about petty crime, right? And he's like, "Don't nickel and dime people." And then he's like, "Here's what we're gonna do," and like starts to plan a heist with the yeah. The young <laughs> here's <man>. the scheme, <laughs> which you know that that's like an old joke. Like you see that in the Ad- Adams Family movie where Wednesday has a knife. Mm-hmm. And Morticia's like, what are you doing? It's for Pugsley. And she goes, no. And she takes the knife away and gives her a bigger knife. Yeah. Like, this is an old, old joke. Granted, it was newer then. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Adam's family is entirely built on those jokes. Yes. Then we get, do you have a Weight Watchers luncheon? Yes, sir, we do. May I have three of them, please? That's a great joke. (laughs) Like, I really like the idea of, like... I'm watching my weight, so I have three meals. But they're Weight Watchers, so it's fine. It's a great joke, despite the fact that when I first heard it, I thought he was going to eat three people on Weight Watchers. Like, do you have Weight Watchers here? Yes. He's like, give me three of them. I shall ingest them. Which I think is a better joke. (laughs) But then I got it later. I respectfully disagree. Um... Bring you have Weight Watchers here. Bring them to me. And then uh, we see a couple in bed, and the man laments, uh, "Man, kids are getting married younger and younger these days." And the wife goes, "Good, let them get it out of their system." Yeah, that's kind of interesting. Just because today we're hearing kids are getting married. Older and older today. Yeah, like... So it's good to know that the older generation will complain about when the younger generation gets married, regardless. I think it's also this interesting thing of, like... People used to get married nearly right out of high school in a lot of cases. Yeah. Or early 20s. Mm-hmm. Now it's very common for couples to have left the nest altogether. Yeah. And be living together for some time before they get married. Right. Uh, then a computer laments over being gender neutral. Right? <laughs> of like ha- not having a gender because it is a computer. Very interesting. <laughs> like, if that joke was written today, it would be expended upon a lot. But it's very interesting that, had, that someone had a gender crisis joke in the 1970s. The next thing is fairly long. And it's, how do I love thee? Let me count the ways. Yes. Over different, over different pictures. I, I w- the best thing I could 
compare this to is a ransom note. I get where you're going with that. Okay. They are reading How I I Love Thee. And for every word, there is a new picture for that word. And the picture is related more to the word than the poem. And it is going so fast that you can't possibly comprehend 60% of the images. But there's some they spend a longer time on. Like, there's one that is a topless cartoon. I didn't even see that. A topless woman on a cartoon on the word right. And it's her on a unicorn topless. Right. Which is kind of risque for the 1960s. Yeah. Even in a cartoony illustration to see breasts depicted on television. I'm wondering if because of the way this was, nothing had to be cut. Oh, maybe. Because, because this was not air. broadcast. I think there are things that uh, did not make it. One of them is the word the, and it's Uncle Sam pointing to someone in a clan hood. And this one appears twice. Oh, I didn't get that it appeared twice. I saw it. Yeah, this one appears twice, which I found interesting. Because there's a lot of discussion about race that does not quite seem to know what it wants to say. Right. But they clearly like want to address it, but they're not quite sure how. That is the yeah. vibe I got from it. We, my only interpretation of that was it was saying the clan. And I would say that like in the 1970s, if you were going to be on like the match game, it's like, what's the most offensive word that can follow the? It would be the clan. <laughs> That's the only justification I could possibly make for whatever is being visually thrown in my eyes. When I say it's the word the, I mean like the as in you, not the as in T-H-E. Not like the. Oh, it was the? Yeah, like how do I love the? It went by so fast. (laughs) So that's what I thought was interesting. And then the next thing we see is a cop saying, the trouble with justice is it gets in the way of law and order. And I was like, ooh, hot take. Topical. It's, it's, a, it's an interesting hot take. And maybe this is the point. All of these things are something that should lead to a discussion. Yes. That you cannot have because by the time you utter a sentence, you've missed three sketches. Is that what this show's about? Is it about... Like, the idea that we can't have a discussion? I I think we're getting to that because one of the next things we see... The next one we see is just another joke of a Native American woman turning down a settler saying, I'm sorry, my father wants me to marry an American. That was my favorite joke. Which is such a good, sharp joke. Especially for the time. Mm -hmm. That was such a good joke. But then the next thing that actually ties into what you just said is a man compliments the Statue of Liberty on her performance in Planet of the Apes. I didn't even catch that this happened. Have you seen Planet of the Apes? Yes, I love Planet of the Apes. Uh, The original. You know how the original Planet of the Apes ends. Yes, spoilers for a 1970s film. A 1960s film. Is it 1960s? Well, Uh, it had to come out before 69. uh, Right. 
Right. I keep thinking this came out in like 73. But nope. no, Turnalyn is, is 1969. Uh, it ends with uh, um, the main character. Planet of the Apes is a relatively recent film when this is aired. Uh, he crashes on the Planet of the Apes. And there's something that he wants to, like, he's trying to escape. And the apes are like, there's something that you shouldn't see. And he then discovers the Statue of Liberty and discovers it was Earth all along. Yes. You animals, you blew it up. And I think that could, in a different time, open up a discussion of the depreciation of symbols through pop culture. Of someone seeing the Statue of Liberty ignoring what it is meant to represent and thinking about the fact that it appears in Planet of the Apes. Yeah. and <laughs> Like the depreciation of a symbol. Yeah, because I could say when I went to uh, Washington, D.C. and went to where like some of the most famous speeches are in the world were given, we all went, hey, it's Forrest Gump Lake. Yeah. Because it's... And the, the National Mall. It's the lake where Forrest and Jenny hug. <laughs> I mean, I I can think of when I went to the Statue of Liberty, my like first experience ever with the Statue of Liberty was a Home Alone 2 teaser poster. Again, really? I was a weird little kid and I would read the entertainment section of the newspaper religiously, mm-hmm. even when I couldn't quite read it because I was baby. Mm-hmm. But I would look at the posters, and I was actually getting, like, a lot of good insight onto how a movie was doing without understanding economics or numbers, Mm. based on how big or small the ad was and whether it was in color anymore. Interesting. And how many theaters were listed. Like, it was a lot of, honestly, really impressive logic work from a very little girl. But I remember there being a folk... When I was good, I would get the New York Times instead of the local paper. Right. uh, As a reward for good behavior, which I feel like is the single most explanatory sentence of my life. Yeah. And I remember there being a full-page ad with the Statue of Liberty with a hands on either side of her face doing the Kevin McAllister scream. Yeah. And that's... Literally one of the first things I remember mm, in my life. Interesting. Like sitting on my parents' living room floor on the carpet. I can tell you where in the living room exactly I was sitting. Uh, it was not on a chair. Like where on the floor. Because I was yeah. always sit on the floor because the newspaper was big and I was small. Yeah. Like right by the coffee table where I used to open presents in front of the back door. Thank you for coming to my dumb <laughs> Um Anyway, <laughs> but the depreciate, but like that was what the first experience I as a little kid had with that symbol. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't know what the Statue of Liberty actually meant for years. Yeah. Please ignore the fact that American Tale was probably pretty contemporary to this. Oh, I mean, for me, it's Ghostbusters too. Fair. So... <laughs> I mean, I wonder how many average Americans know what it says on the Statue of Liberty, minus those who quote clueless. We can totally party with the Hadians? No, they know it does not Not say say. RSVP on the Statue of Liberty. (laughs) I can tell you one thing it doesn't say. That was my audition monologue for years. Um, But give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses learning to breathe free. (laughs) 
Yeah. I, I'm, I'm writing a note right now. The video essay... On cultural depictions of the Statue of Liberty? Yeah. Uh, because... I don't know if you've seen the alternate ending of Little Shop of Horrors. Have I ever made you watch it? Yes. That also end the penultimate shot of that is Audrey Two taking over the Statue of Liberty. I don't that that image I don't have in my brain. I remember the bridge being taken over. Yeah, the very last image before the end is Audrey Two taking over the Statue of Liberty, and then it cuts to the movie screen. That's going to be such a good video essay that we never do. <laughs> but I wrote it down in a notebook. It then breaks into Audrey 2 coming through ostensibly your movie screen. Yes. Uh, they eat you. Yes, because they the original ending does the ending of the musical where the plant wins and eats everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was notoriously poorly received. And despite the fact that this took a lot of money to film, they just refilmed the very cheap, simple, somewhere that's green ending. And also, we had we got Seymour electrifying the plant because wood, notable conductor yeah. of electricity. Well, they didn't have a lot of time to reshoot. <laughs> <laughs> then we get... This repeats a few times, but I'm just going to talk about it now. Yeah, this is very funny to me. And it should be. It's a guy... Trying to commit suicide by asphyxiation in his car. Yes. But his car won't start. Yeah. But, like, one thing I've really got to say is the visual, like, it's also an instruction video. Yeah, which would never fly today. Like, like, you see him put a hose in the tailpipe and then put it in his car and then put it in his mouth. Yeah. And, like, I, not too long ago, watched Midsommar. So, like, I'm, like, freaking out (laughs) and having flashbacks. But also giggling because the performance is really funny. There's, like, and it's done, it's almost like Buster Keaton. Yeah. Like, like it's that silent movie, slightly sped up film thing. Yes. And it's in three sections throughout. There's him trying to start the car and it not working. And then there's like one where he kind of gets the car running. But every time he gets into the car, uh, the the car shuts off again. Hilarity. Uh, And then the car gets towed away. And he's, like, trying to use the tow truck. So he's trying to, like, jam it into uh, the the tailpipe of the, the tow truck. And it keeps, like, getting yanked out of his mouth. And then he runs and lays down in front of the tow truck. And the tow truck just kind of swerves. But it's close enough to be like, ooh, that seemed really dangerous. Well, y- the... Joke almost seems to be that the tow truck sees him's like nah. Yeah, of course. Like, but like, but not that the tow truck is trying to help him. Just the tow truck doesn't want to. Yeah. Uh, there's a musical called The Full Monty. Mm-hmm. This reminded me of a song in that. Okay. Um, in The Full Monty, a character named Malcolm is introduced, uh, suicidal. Okay. And he's considering how to die by suicide because he has no friends 
And the two main characters kind of pick him up, dust him off, and start jokingly suggesting things and telling him, like, we'll help you. You don't have to do it alone. (laughs) And it kind of reverse psychologies him out of it. Okay. Of, like, we care enough to make sure that you have a good suicide. Therefore, you have friends. Like, oh, we could always tie a plastic laundry bag over his head. Nah, it's such a wimp suicide. Like... And then they also are very casual about their own attempts. What made me think of it is like, I tried to lay down in front of a steamroller and try to tell them business as usual. Ah, the old bug squash chair. Good way to go. (laughs) By the way, I love the full month. I went through Mm. like a phase, which is why I can like word perfect recite Mm. the dialogue in the middle of it. (laughs) But it's very similar to that humor. And this was also before... Uh, we're probably going to record at the end a content warning to go ahead of this episode because this episode does speak very lightly about topics that some people may find upsetting. Yeah. Uh, which I'm saying out loud so I remember to do it because mm-hmm. you'll just tack it onto the front. But it's very casual and I, I tried to do a quick research on depictions of suicide in television and it's not terribly common God, at no. this point. See, it's- and very seldom played for laughs. It's so interesting to me that you saw that and your mind went to the full Monty. My mind went to Wonder Chosen. Okay. Because what you've done is you've taken something wholesome in Buster Keaton and done the darkest thing possible where the comedy of errors is a failed suicide. (laughs) And it should not be this funny. But, like, it's really well shot. Like, they hit... Because this is something I talk about in comedy. I've seen a lot of comics have terrible material. Mm-hmm. But they hit the cadence. Yeah. So it doesn't even matter what they're saying. They know that this is the punchline. So you're laughing now because that's what my voice is telling you to do. It's an editing version of that where it's so, like, Buster Keaton, silent film, slapstick comedy. But the topic is so dark. I was so impressed by this. (laughs) It's also, it's very interesting because it's uh, incredibly difficult to research the concept of suicide. Yes, it is. As it is. uh, Because I I was trying to research historical depictions of suicide in pop culture. Mm Mm-hmm. But we're so very, like, we're now rightfully more sensitive and careful about it than we were in the past. Uh, a lot of what I'm finding is recommendations for how it be represented in pop culture. And let me tell you, not this. Mm-hmm. Or how it should be handled, how it should be spoken of. And it's interesting to see this. This looks more Gen Z and Gen Alpha. Like... This looks more like something I could see being an Instagram reel. Yeah. Like that very... Oh, we're getting into that. That's my whole ending thesis. (laughs) All right. Uh, I have a note, LOL, the Hayes Code. (laughs) Do you know what the Hayes Code is? We've talked about it a little bit, I think, at some point. Remind our listeners. The Hayes Code was a technically voluntary set of rules for movies. And it prohibited um, pretty much most things. Um, Sex, nudity, Mm -hmm. violence. There was also a very moral aspect to it of like the bad guy could not win. Mm -hmm. Which is why in the late 60s, 
early 70s, we start getting the auteur era where the villain wins a lot. Yeah. Because now they can. And the Hayes Code is dead by the time we're getting to uh, turn on. But I found it really interesting because you don't think of 1960s pop culture as presenting this way. Right. So, uh, we get a shot that just says Coca-Cola on the moon. That happens. I I wrote it down. (laughs) Yeah, I don't have that. It's not a sketch. It's literally an image that flashes on the screen and then it's gone. We also get someone in a Middle Eastern country. We, I don't think we're told which one. Saying... But what has the Soviet Union ever done for my country? Oh, are you kidding? The fact that I'm here talking to you will get you an American loan for two billion dollars. <laughs> Which is, you know, kind of already this discussion of like Team America World Police. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, again, another weird, like silly, wholesome joke about a couple in church counseling. And they say... Uh, this holy union. And the woman goes, are we going to have to join the Teamsters? Yeah. A little union humor for you. Just like a very innocent, wholesome joke. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I have a toaster bubble machine. Yes. That happens. <laughs> and music that's annoying is playing. <laughs> yeah, you're not a big fan of the Moog synth. Oh, no. <laughs> Shut it off. A pilot asks for a runway three to be cleared to land for an emergency and gets a call center. Mm-hmm. And then a couple drunk at a bar complaining that what kids lack today is parental guidance. Yeah. And I was like, are they supposed to be the parents? I think that's what the joke is. Yeah, I, I had the moment of implying they're the parents. And uh, then we get another comment on, commentary on parenting in the next sketch immediately of two women talking going like, oh, your sons are such little gentlemen. They're so well behaved. How do you do it? And the other woman just goes, terror. Yes. So the abusive parenting that probably a lot of these, a lot of the counterculture 1960s young adults Mm -hmm. probably coped with when they were younger of having parents who were not emotionally equipped for parenting. And then to tie the, the family thing up in the bow, we get a shot of a woman's navel with a tattoo that says mommy. I mean, the navel's where the umbilical cord is, so that's interesting, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good juxtaposition. <laughs> and then, uh, too many TV shows today make cops look bad. Yeah, but one makes them wor- look worse than anything. The news! That is a perfect joke. It really is. It's funny, because since it's from the 60s, it's very, it was very fresh at the time, the way it's said reminds me of the avant-garde theater troupe sketches from SNL. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what is the name of this country? America. <laughs> yeah, I, I get what you're saying. I, it's still a great joke. It's a well-crafted joke. I just, the way it's delivered reminds me of those the sketches. Uh, and then there's just a guy asking an old woman if he remembers her. Or if she remembers him. Do you remember me from PS81? And it's implied to be like his old teacher and she just doesn't care. Yeah. And then there's the whole cast like on a bed together in like a weird transitional shot. Yeah, just kind of chilling. And then 
a black man who has clearly been beaten up mm. talks to a nurse about violence and the nurse compassionately says, like, I'm sorry, did you call the police? And the black man says they were the police. So bringing again this theme of police brutality. This episode seems to have a lot of police brutality jokes. Yeah, there's like some themes in here of police brutality, uh, uh, life not going the way you thought it would. And then we get an Excendron ad, and I got real confused. Yeah, so I just want to say how my notes go. There's this, they were the police, police brutality joke. And then my next note is, the toilet died. Yes. It's just a plumber coming in like a surgeon. Saying, like, I'm sorry, ma'am, we tried everything, but your toilet didn't make it. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> it's it's the it's the very strange thing about Turn On is it seems to alternate between almost dad jokes and then yes. very pointed political satire. Uh, what I want to say really quick is one: throughout all of this, we're still getting credits. Yes, like we, we still, get credits for the entire episode. We, it'll still occasionally flash to like, here's the writer, badoo 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 badoo, and then it'll move on. Uh, throughout the next, like, section, there is a repeated cartoon. And mm-hmm. it is a man holding a sign where he covers the first word, and the second word is you. Mm-hmm. I think the joke here is that he's probably covering the F word. Mm-hmm. The first time he lifts it up, it says, love you. The second time... There's like a weird scribble that we went back and paused. <laughs> I thought and it said wonton. Wonton was the closest we could come to for yeah, what I this word was. Wonton you? Wanting you? Wanting you? I have no idea what this says. And I was like, well, maybe that's the joke. That, like, you think it's the F word and then something so quick goes by that your brain goes, oh, that was probably the F word. But then he comes back and they do the same thing except it says not you. Yeah. And I think he comes back again. Um, but I don't think I have it in my notes. Maybe it's just the three. We also get the another Boston Strangler joke. Uh, where somebody comes in, uh, somebody knocks on the door, same door. Yeah. And she goes, who is it? And he goes, the Boston Strangler. And she lets him in, like, preens in front of him? Yes. And he goes, sorry, lady, wrong apartment. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I thought the joke was going to be that the first time the Boston Strangler was actually there for his wife, and they were just friends, <laughs> which I think I would have liked more, but whatever. Uh, then we get a man being held up by a bandit, and the guy goes, I'm poor, why don't you... Hold up a rich guy. And he goes, I'm an equal opportunity bandit. Which is like a doofy joke. Yeah. And then there's a senator saying like, are you discuss?" He turns to a district attorney because he's got like a big DA sign on his desk mm-hmm. and says, are you investigating government and organized crime? And the DA goes, I am. And the senator pats him on the back with a keep up the good work, son. And then you turn around. The DA now has a literal target on his back. Yes. Uh, two quick things I want to say about this. Yes. This is the only time through this show 
that I could tell that the actor was clearly doing the SNL I'm reading a cue card thing. Where he's not looking at the actor he's talking to, he's looking over his shoulder, clearly reading. And two, right before this, we get E. Eddie Edwards in a wedding dress for no reason. Yes. He's back! Yay! And he's wearing a wedding dress. Anyway. <laughs> and then we have two women talking, and it says true happiness involves devoting yourself to one good man at a time. <laughs> I was like, all right. Yeah, okay. Um, then two men talking about the use of napalm and yeah. how they shouldn't throw... That once the war ends, it will eliminate jobs and that the solution is to just keep making napalm and throw it in the sea. Yeah. And guys like, don't be stupid. Just keep making the napalm and use it to burn surplus food. Mm-hmm. Which is the thing, like, instead of not making napalm, they're finding ways to destroy things with it to keep those jobs instead of creating other jobs that are well not napalm <laughs> if i if i remember correctly right around here is when the government stay with me gang the government buys a surplus of cheese and stores it in a cave because if there was so much cheese it would have lowered the price of cheese and hurt the economy Yes, I mean, that's, I think, still done with some crops. Yeah, where they just destroy it because a surplus of it would devalue it to the point where it would upset the 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 economy. The economy is just this, like, weird balancing act. <laughs> it's this horrible game of Jenga. And the solution is often, well, if we don't have to put this piece back on top. Maybe it won't fall over. So let's just light it on fire. Yeah, I mean, and it's often this weird game of Jenga based on some people trying to get as many pieces as possible. Yeah. And not caring if the way they get more pieces does lasting harm to every other player. Uh, And while I'm trying to comprehend all these flashing colors and noises that are happening in front of me, I swear to you, the cat puppet from Too Many Cooks shows up <laughs> and is just there. <laughs> Don't remember it saying anything, but I was just like, is that the cat from Too Many Cooks? I feel like it's not going to be. There's no way it is. <laughs> it's impossible. But I was like, what is happening? Like, it's probably not. Wait. Wait. <laughs> Yeah, how about that? <laughs> Did you think I was just being crazy? A little bit. <laughs> it's not the exact cat puppet from Too Many Games. It's from if you made Too Many Cooks. Too Many Games is a convention. <laughs> I that I now have to bring a cat puppet to. Thanks. Um, it's not the exact Too Many Cooks puppet. It's much more disturbing because it's from the 60s. It looks like it's from the 60s. Because the Too Many Cooks cat puppet looks like whichever one of Sizzle or Nuzzle from the Puzzle Place was a cat. Yeah. <laughs> like, almost exactly. But... I, I will put, them, put both images up split screen. Unless, unless they don't look anything alike. In which case, I won't do that. Then they go visit a man on death row. And says, Murphy, time for your last meal. Anything special? 
bacon and soft boiled eggs. How long in the eggs? About 35 years. <laughs> oh yeah, because he's trying not to die. Yes. S- simple joke. And then the US space program gets to the moon and already sees a flag from the Soviet Union planted there. Yeah, that's a, that's a fine little joke. And then a series of racist jokes. Uh, a white man asks a black man to go get his ID. And a black man goes like, oh, it's just in the house. And the white guy goes, well, you better step and fetch it. And I go, oh, and you go, what? Yeah, this is once again a joke I don't understand. Laura, could you dramaturg this for us? Uh, step and fetch it was a vaudevillian. Uh, he was a very famous character. Uh, that being said, in by the 1960s, he was seen as a harmful stereotype. Mm-hmm. He was seen as more uh, of a minstrel-type character. And it was not... Ah, he was seen as problematic yeah. in that time period. So does that give you kind of like a good enough grounding? Mm-hmm. He was played by a black actor, unlike a lot of uh, characters like that at the time, who mm-hmm. would be played by white actors in blackface. And he was a successful actor, but a lot of what he did is later considered to be harmful. Okay. And the white cop who says, you better go step and fetch it, cringes. Mm-hmm. Now... Like he, like he, he realized he stepped in it. Yes. Uh, and then this is another one that's split up into four squares. Yes. Uh, we get now a black cop talking to a uh, a Spanish or Mexican uh, person. He's in a sombrero. It's pretty obvious. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he ends up accidentally using the phrase spick and span mm-hmm. and cringing to himself. Yes. It's good to see cringe humor in the 1960s. And then the rule of threes, a cop asks a rabbi something, but then the rabbi seems to respond in an Irish accent, and I got very confused. Yes, I think the joke... I think this was just not maybe not a joke we understood because we're not... Well, I think the joke comes from the the cop is black in this mm-hmm. when he's talking to the rabbi, and the the cop is afraid he's going to say something to offend the rabbi, and the rabbi ends up saying, "Don't worry about it. Call a spade a spade," and I think that's the cringy line. Is that a spade a spade? Because then he, the, the cop kind of looks to the camera and goes like, ooh. So it ends up being kind of this interesting uh, flip around because a spade was a derogatory term for a black person. Okay. That, so that's, that's what, was, what I guess. The person being detained ends up being the one using the slur. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, we then get a shot of the clan. <laughs> the clan is there, but there's a black clansman who yeah. gives like a black power fist, which would then be stolen by Dave Chappelle. And again, I'm not because it's so quick. I I didn't quite figure out what it wanted to say. Was it saying 
that the Black Power movement was akin to the Klan? My guess was that, like... I, like, I couldn't figure out exactly what they were hoping to say with that. We're post-segregation here, right? We're newly post-segregation? Yeah, we are in 1969. So all white spaces now have to welcome all races. So I think that's the joke. Is like, oh, now African Americans have the freedom to join the Klan. Yeah, it was... I think. It was weird. I, I didn't quite get that one, if we're being honest. I don't think there was much to get. Uh, we see the same man who ordered three Weight Watchers dinners, ordering a ton of food that has alcohol as a component. Mm-hmm. Like brandy like brandy sauce and things like that. Like A lot of them that had um, like a rum cake. Mm-hmm. And then the waitress asks if he wants a cocktail and he says, no, I'm on the wagon. Did not get that joke. But every, thank you so much for explaining that. Every one to me. food he ordered had an alcohol component. Uh, then there's a thing where they're talking about uh, pesticides contaminating things, mm-hmm. and like how it's contaminated even newborn babies. And a woman goes, "Are we gonna have to move again?" No idea. But all I can think of is like that's currently the commentary with microplastics. Yeah, of, like they're finding microplastics in breast milk. They're finding microplastics in newborns. Mm-hmm. And, like, so the same concerns to the point where, like, the way our parents talk about, like, oh, my God, we used to follow the deep truck. Like, are Mm. we going to say, like, we used to drink out of plastic cups? Yeah. I mean, we kind of do because I remember the Shrek glasses had cadmium in them. Like, if you have the collector Shrek glasses that were from one of the fast food things, you're really not supposed to drink out of them. Really? Yeah, because a lot of the fast food glasses of that time period had cadmium in them. Like Coheed and Cambrian? No. Okay. Uh, so, if you have one of those old cups, maybe look it up. Yeah. And maybe don't drink out of it. Yeah. Use it to hold your toothbrush like I do. Yes. <laughs> uh, then there's a another quick doctor joke of, you need a hysterectomy? And the woman goes, again? Okay. I think I know what this joke is. I think this is... Male doctors not understanding how women work. Okay, that's actually exactly what I was going to say. Awesome. <laughs> um, is, I mean, not awesome, <laughs> but I felt good that I got it. Yeah, I was going to say it's uh, the misconceptions regarding female health. And how uh, largely female health is still understudied. And under, like, under-researched. Uh, the next thing I have is make love gently. Yes. It is a protester with a make love sign being crushed under a boot. Yeah. Hippie County. It's essentially a cartoon version of one of your favorite movies is Watchmen. Yes. And remember in the opening credits of Watchmen when a young woman tucks a flower into yes. the gun and then the next thing you see is the guns go off and then you see a flower fluttering yes. down. In, in reality, the guns didn't go off. Yeah, but I feel like it's that thing. Oh, here's another sign. On you. Yeah, I actually do have this note. It then says on you, which I thought was referencing the make love gently thing. But also I don't understand what on you, like, I don't get it. So then we get these four quick jokes. It's Italy and Poland telling each other American jokes. Which makes sense because Italian and Polish jokes were very common jokes to make. 
Yeah, I remember when I was a kid, I really liked making Polish jokes. Just because, like, I didn't know any Polish people. And, like, oh, Polish people are just really silly. Like, like I didn't understand them. I was just like, oh, it's like a clown. And I would just You didn't make, understand that it was making fun of an ethnic that I would, group? Yeah, that I was demeaning an entire group of people. Uh, but, like, it, it's interesting. Like, we don't have these anymore. Because in my opinion, as someone that, like, studies comedy... There was a period of time where we did Polak jokes, where like, oh, the dumb Polak, blah. And then we just stopped doing that because it was racist and just did all those jokes again and said blonde instead. (sighs) And now I don't think we do any of those jokes anymore. (laughs) I feel like now we use a non-physical attribute. Like, we make, like, influencer jokes like, there's always an acceptable target. Yeah, I think it's just... Now I think it's just nameless idiot. Because there was also a period of time where... There was, like, this name you would use to be like, Oh, did you hear what... It's like Banana Fana did again. And it was just a way to kind of, like... kid eyes these racist jokes to make them about random fictional beings. There's a, there's a comedy history lesson for you. Then there's uh, some chopsticks telling a fork you all look alike to us. <laughs> I mean, it's funny because it's objects. Well, and it's funny because it's chopsticks telling a fork that. Mm-hmm. When a very common, uh, a very common issue is white people not being able to discern between people of different Asian origins. Mm-hmm. Um, two phones. You say you want to marry me, but you uh, you never give me a ring. Yes. Simple pun. Love it. And then two toothbrushes. If you really loved me, you'd let me borrow your owner. Yeah. So, like, these are very interesting. Like, I can't believe I, I haven't seen this, like, TikTok account. Yeah. Where it's just, like, talking objects doing puns. And then... So the last, like, good one-liner is somebody says, like, what do you think about nudity on Broadway? And somebody goes, it's okay as long as it doesn't impede traffic. <laughs> good joke. Yeah, good joke. Because they're talking about, obviously, like, nudity in the theater. And in the 60s and 70s, the theater district is kind of seedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not until the 90s when we get, the essentially, the Disneyfication of Times Square. And, like, Times Square, as you currently know it, like, the theater district and being super clean and super touristy and super, like, compared to any other part of any other city being, like, very safe mm-hmm. for tourists, uh, that's in the last, like, 30 years. Before that, it was kind of a seedier area of the city. Mm-hmm. And so that that's kind of, I was like, oh, they would be, it would fall in there because that's where, like, a lot of adult theaters were. As well as, like, Broadway theaters. And that was just something I found interesting. And that's theater history. <laughs> yeah. We're smart. <laughs> Surprise. Uh, then I just have typewriters sleep with colored ribbons. Yeah, that was... Occasionally they will just... The computers will just vomit up a ribbon that says something. Mm-hmm. And, like, this clearly means something that I couldn't quite, like... 
Because of, like the connotation of colored at that time. I, there's a part of me. This might just be because I live in a world that actually has AI. Think the joke is here. Computers aren't perfect yet. So the, it thinks it's a joke. <laughs> but it, it doesn't quite get there. Or like it's a computer putting down a typewriter. Maybe. I kind of like that as an idea. Like, some of this, like, anything that has to do too much with the technology, uh, I don't have, I'm not very good at the history of tech. Like, it's just not a thing I know as well. So then we have this, for this, an extremely long sketch. It's a dinner date over the 1812 Overture. Of a man and woman eating peanut butter and jelly. Imagine you on a Saturday night are sitting at home and you're like, you know what? I'm going to try mushrooms. And then while you're in the middle of a bad trip, someone aggressively instructs you to eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. That is the same experience as watching this. This is nauseating. This is disruptive. This is confusing. I hate every moment of this. Yeah, I, I do not like this. They, they eat peanut butter and jelly out of each other's mouths. Yeah, I it. It's very weird. I'm, I'm sure it means something. I don't want to know. Yeah. Blech. Blech. Uh, yeah, it goes on for way too long, and I don't want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> And that's, unfortunately, the end of Turn It On. Oh, no. You forget that then a soldier pops out of a cake and shoots everyone. Oh, yeah. That's happening weirdly, like, at the end of the YouTube video. So, like, it goes in small screen and that happens. And that, yeah, that is the end of Turn On Episode 3. I liked Turn On Episode 3 way more than I liked episodes of Turn On 1 and 2. I think it might be because I'm thinking about issues in a way I may not have been in 2019. Mm. Uh, But I found this more interesting. I think, you know, police violence is so much more on people's minds in 2024 Mm. than it was in 2019. Mm -hmm. Um, AI is so much more on people's minds than it was in 2019. Yeah. Um, You know, America's relationship with race and racism... Is so much more on yeah, our minds than it was in 2019. There are so many things that hit in such a way that I was the like... The environment. Like, wow, holy crap. Things have become so appreciably worse in five years. Things have, There's things that hit so hard during this episode that I was like, there's no way that this could be hitting the audience in 1969 as hard as it's hitting me right now. Like, it, it's, very, it's very strange to watch it that way. Yeah. Uh... I do want to tell this quick story. Okay. Um, It's episode 200, so we can do this. Okay. Uh, We were recently at a Super Bowl party. We were. And you weren't here for this conversation. Nope. uh, Because the Super Bowl was on in multiple rooms, and Laura and I had spread out. Uh, We were playing zone defense. and I was with the cat. uh, Somebody says, I wonder what the worst show of all time is. Did you pop? And I'm surprised I didn't pop out I of the wall went, like the Kool-Aid man. Guess what? I'm the guy to talk to. 
Uh, and they're like, it's got to be that Geico show. And I was like, Cavemen? That's a good pick. But I'm going to tell you right now that the worst one is Turn On. It's was canceled while it was airing. And someone went, oh, what? You mean to tell me that like in the middle of the show, someone just pulled the plug? And I went, yes. Yep. And they just played organ music. <laughs> like, that's a real thing that happened. Uh, and someone else said, I just Googled it. I actually have the worst show. It's a British show that lasted one episode. And I went, oh, hi, uh, honey, I'm home. home. <laughs> and they're like, oh, you really are the guy. And I'm like, yeah, I am. <laughs> I do want to point out that I was not aware of this story and got Heil Honey, I'm Home just from the air. I was like, yeah, I'm the guy to talk to about this. Uh, so we eventually decided that Heil Honey, I'm Home is the worst show to immediately be canceled. And then as a group, they all decided the worst show that ran multiple season was Two Broke Girls. People hate that show. I didn't watch it. I didn't watch it. it. I'm too busy watching this stuff. But, yeah, yeah, I people do hate that show, though. Uh, so, I feel like you're going to have a very different feeling towards this show this time. Yeah, I I actually really... I, I don't know if it's a stay tuned still, because it's very yeah. difficult to watch. Um, I, I guess it's kind of a stay doomed in that it's very difficult to watch, but I'm not sorry I watched it. Uh, yeah, I definitely felt better about this one because I could watch it in a more leisure sit- setting of watching it in my home instead of, like, on the clock in New York City. Yeah. Uh, and one thing that I kept, like, comparing this to before, matter of fact, it was quoted in a Blame It On uh, Jorge video, or George, I actually don't know how to pronounce that name. In any case... Uh, it's like a Vine compilation on acid. Yes. Is what I described this show. And I thought about Vine a lot. I think a lot of these sketches would work better as Vines and Instagram reels and YouTube shorts. You know I could why? See that. You know why? Because when you upload it in that format, when the sketch ends, it restarts. Yeah. So you have more time to understand what's happening. <laughs> Total agree. Uh, that being said, this definitely also has like a, a an adult swim feel. And I think... Uh, I say this a lot at Razzie Month. Which is... You can't really say a movie is bad if it accomplishes... It's premise. Mm-hmm. Because I said that about, like, movie 53 or whatever the heck that movie Movie 43. 43. Of, like, yeah, that movie's bad, but if you saw the trailer, you knew what you were getting into, and you got exactly that. So why are you upset? Yeah. This show is attempting to be a show written by AI. And now that we have the AI... We can really see how much this show is nailing that. Mm-hmm. That I am tempted to take these sketches and start a YouTube channel or an Instagram mm-hmm. where I recreate 
turn-on sketches, plus actually get some AI written sketches. Put them up side by side, and then it's like, is this AI or did someone write this? You figure it out. And that's kind of the game of the channel. And I think Turn On could get by a few times. I think people would honestly think, oh, AI must wrote this. Because this is insanity. It accomplishes its premise. Yeah, I mean, it's so strange. Yeah, if you think about it as it's vomiting up culture Mm -hmm. as it understands it. Uh, And I want to point out, I believe you gave this a stay tuned. Okay. The first time. And I gave it a stay tuned. I think I'm giving this a stay tuned. I, you know, I can give it a stay tuned. I, I'm saying like it's difficult to watch, but I thought it said a lot of really interesting things and also had a lot of really nascent ideas. Like it had a lot of ideas that given a little more time and exploration could have been really, really interesting. And it's very interesting as a time capsule. This, in my mind, is right next to the movie, the horror movie that Gabe likes, that they show in the office. Yes. Where he's like, do you still, where Aaron's like, do you still have that movie that we put on and everyone started crying? And Gabe's like, maybe even having a narrative would be comforting. Yeah. Yeah, that, yes, <laughs> that's turn on. And it's done well and correct. Like, if it wasn't for the the car sketch. And even the quote, quote, characters in Turn It On that we become accustomed to are Uncanny Valley on purpose. Yeah. Like, E. Eddie Edwards. Is plasticky. Yeah, on purpose. Like, he's intended to be unsettling and weird. Yeah, no, I, I really come around on the show as far as, like, I think maybe because I'm just, I might be smarter than I was in 2019 in some ways. Of <laughs> I'm just, not! <laughs> of just like, I understand more of the cultural. I might be dumber. Like, I, I understood more of the cultural. Like, I, I'm not sure I would have pulled the step and fetch it reference out in 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, nah. I'm trying to think of when I was like studying topics adjacent to that. No, I think the book where I'm the book I'm thinking of that references that character, I don't think I read until 2021. Maybe 22. I think more importantly, this show truly embodies what our show is. Yes, that's like love it or hate it, and I hate it like a lot. <laughs> I'm so glad that this is no longer locked in the Paley Center. Yes. And that this is available on YouTube because this should be studied. Oh, 100% agree. This is such a fascinating... Just time capsule. Time capsule. It, like, the fact that it's so prescient now is so weird. Yeah. It did a better job predicting the future than Back to the Future did. (laughs) I gotta give it a stay tuned. What do you think? You know what? Stay tuned. There we are. Here we are. Episode 200, baby. Look at us. We did it. (laughs) 
Who would have ever thought? Who would have ever thought? I think we call this an episode. Yep. Uh, so thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you're a big fan of this, we were supposed to revamp the Patreon back in January, and it just didn't. It wasn't able to happen because we were so sick. One or both of us has been consistently ill for nearly a month. The Patreon revamp is coming very soon. It's going to have a bunch of cool stuff. Get excited. Uh, But if you want to join the Patreon, patreon.com slash plus two comedy. And a big shout out to Amusing Moose for being a super cool patron. Where can people find us? Uh, you can email us at the Stay Doomed Show or on Facebook and whatever you want to call it at Stay Doomed. And if you want to talk to me about what the next episode is, because we're not sure. It's either the Cape or we're going to do Rising Month. One of those things is going to happen. I'm at Plus Two Comedy on Twitter. If you want to talk about accessibility and research and being able to, you know, find things that have been previously hidden and the new, kind of the new culture of no more physical media, meaning things are now becoming lost media again. I'm at Priorities. Until next time, stay doomed. Happy 200, everyone. Beep.